Hi, it's Leon Dolan, and my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical, is out now and available everywhere. People Magazine chose it as an April pick of the month, one of the best this week, a hopeful take on commitment, they said, and an innovative story about marriage. Mmm, sounds juicy. The Marriage Sabbatical, out now, available everywhere. Welcome to Satellite Sisters. I'm Liz Dolan. This week's show is going to start in one minute. But first, I wanted to remind you how you can find us and how you can support us. Uh, We have thousands of you out there listening, and we have hundreds of Satellite Sisters shows posted at iTunes. So please check them out. If you can give us a rating, we love that. If you can give us a review, we love that even more. The podcast app that comes installed on iPhones is a really easy way to have all of our shows available to you all the time on your smartphone, so you want to, you might want to try that, or another one we love, an app that has worked for us, is Stitcher Radio. So download that to your phone. All of our shows will always be available to you there. Whenever there's a new show, it pops up automatically, so that's something that I know a lot of you like. If you're using that or any other apps for listening from your smartphone and you can give us a thumbs up or a review, uh, that would really be great. If you're just sitting at your desk, not moving around in the world, and you want to listen online, all of our shows are always posted at SatelliteSisters.com. That's where our blog is, and if you look at the upper left-hand corner uh, of our homepage, SatelliteSisters.com, you'll see that you can stream the show right from there. You can also stream the show from our Facebook group. Whenever we have a new show posted, it goes to Facebook first. And the best thing about that is if you listen to it and you like it, you can share it with your own Satellite Sisters. Because remember, what's our slogan for this year? Share the sisters. Hi, this is Julie. This is Liz. This is Sheila. This is Monica. This is Leanne. We are the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters to Go. Satellite Sisters, welcome to the show. It is Saturday, March 15th. I know we're throwing some of you people off with some of the Saturday recording, but maybe I won't post it till Sunday, okay? So if that makes your lives more predictable and you're hearing this for the first time on Sunday, that might be the way we operate this. But we had a special guest we wanted to work in today, so uh, here we are on a Saturday. I'm Liz Dolan. I'm in Santa Monica, California, where, believe it or not, it's going to be 80-something today. Sorry, girls. Uh, joined on the line with me, my sister, Julie Dolan, in Dallas, Texas. How goes it there? You're, you know, you're recording from a whole new situation now, Julie. I have a brand new closet that I've moved into <laughs> that I'm recording the show. So happy, wow. so happy Ides of March to you all. Oh, okay. yes. <laughs> Okay, happy closet. And uh, and joining us today from Long Island, New York, uh, a representative of Satellite Sisters Next Generation, uh, our niece Megan Dolan Saparito, who is, uh, Megan, We last time you were with us, you were in the house hunting phase. Now it sounds like you and your husband Greg have like focused right in and you're about to make a move. Yes, we are. Well, hello. It's great to be here. And Liz, I just have to say, it's a beautiful, sunny, 60-degree day here in Long Beach, New York. Oh, beautiful. So okay, we good. are loving it. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, we have been looking for houses. We were, as you know, recently married in August. And I guess I kind of broke up our house hunt into three H's. <laughs> So the first one is hurricane because Greg and I live in Long Beach, New York. We've lived here about five years and we, the whole uh, city, Long Beach is technically a city, was devastated by Hurricane Sandy last year. Um, We happened to live in an apartment on the fourth floor. So our quote unquote stuff was okay. Um, But we met playing beach volleyball here in Long Beach and we wanted to stay here and buy a house. Obviously, the hurricane changed that whole plan. Yeah. So we are now looking on 
the north shore of Long Island up in the Huntington and Northport area. And it's beautiful up there. We're so excited. We've been looking about two months. Uh-huh. And since we've been looking, we kind of figured out what our next H would be, and that is height in the house. <laughs> because <laughs> Why is that? There are some very small houses there? There are some small houses, and I have a tall husband. Uh-huh. So a lot of the little capes that we were looking at, we finally decided, you know, oh, this is nice. This has a nice yard. And we finally said one day, we're just not going to look at any more of those. They're just not tall enough. <laughs> and you're, you're both tall. So, we're both tall. Yeah, yeah. So you need, you need room, you two. Right. Those 10-foot ceilings. You have to go for that. Mm -hmm. Yes. So even some of the basements, you know, he couldn't stand up in because they're older houses up there. But um, (laughs) that just wasn't going to work for us. So now we are at the point. um, We've been working with our great realtor. We've seen a bunch of houses. And one that we fell in love with, I came on the market last Wednesday. So this has all happened in just over a week. Yeah, Came on yeah. the market on Wednesday. We saw it on Saturday. We made an offer on Sunday. They accepted our offer on Monday. Wow. And we had an inspector in there this week, and now we are um, waiting to sign the contracts. We're negotiating that now, but it has been a crazy whirlwind. It's like a full-time job, honestly, doing <laughs> so all this Megan, stuff. Is that, is that your third H? Hooray. Do you have a <laughs> Hooray, we have a house. No, now my third age is horror stories. <laughs> Everybody wants to tell us horror stories. Oh, really? It's about a, about the house they yes. and the roof blew off or something like that. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, you have an underground oil tank. Let me tell you the environmental concerns that come with that. And if you don't sign the contract, you might lose it. I mean, it's just... It's been crazy. It's been a lot of work, but we are really, really excited. We're both first-time home buyers. So. Yeah, that's that's an amazing milestone, I would imagine for yes. like for anyone. The first time you buy a house, I remember first my first house was in Portland, Oregon. I bought it like from, and my realtor was someone I really liked, but unbeknownst to me, I was her first actual customer ever. <laughs> So I remember sitting in a bar at the motel in Beaverton, Oregon, where I was living at the time, <laughs> trying to figure out how to fill in the actual form because my realtor, Joanne, uh, who was fantastic, was not quite sure about how some of these spaces were supposed to be filled in. <laughs> Luckily, her husband, Mort, who was a CPA, he came over, and between us, we figured out how to actually make an offer on the house. But then you feel like, oh, my God, this is the rest of my life. It's the biggest thing you've ever done, right? Yes. Yes, by far. By far. So, so Megan, how, how many houses did you look at before you found the one that was right for you? Um, we probably looked at somewhere around 20, I would say, wow. um, over the course of a couple months. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's been, again, a full-time job. So between being addicted to looking at the websites with all, I get the alerts now when the new houses pop up in all these different towns. I mean, it's like 20 emails a day. So, so it's, and you get those 360 degree tours of the house that make you kind of dizzy when you're looking at those online. Yeah. Oh yes. The virtual tour of the house that we are hoping to sign a contract on. I've probably watched maybe 30 times. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here, here's my prediction. Cause this is what happened to me. I think you're going to remain addicted to house hunting even once you have a house because house hunting is super fun just as a weekend sport. And I personally am still um, just a girl who loves an open house. You know, I can, I find it very hard to just drive by an open house sign on a Sunday afternoon here in Santa Monica and not just stop for a minute just to check it out. It's, I know. It has the snoop value of seeing how other people live. But also you think like, huh, if I lived here, how would I, what would be different? What would I do that would be differently? So, um Liz, of course you realize you are totally wasting the time and the money (laughs) of the sellers and the seller's agent. And you show up at these open houses and you have no intention of buying it. And you're just in there as a looky-loo. Yeah, yeah. 
You're totally right, Julie, but I try to, like, practically wear a sign that says looky-loo. From the the moment I walk in, I don't waste any of the agent's time. Like, you don't need to talk. I always say, like, oh, I just live in the neighborhood, which to me is the the, I'm a looky-loo, ignore me sign. And so they do. They, uh, like, I don't even sign. I sign in on the sheet only because they get credit for how many people came in. But I never leave a phone number or anything because I don't want you to follow up with me. I'm just like... Yeah, I'm just a looky-loo. There's just, no right. There's no shame in the looky-loo. Right. So, so, so Megan, if you if you actually do buy this house on Monday, um, how soon do you think you and Greg will be moving? Do you wait? He's in the middle of a school year, right? So does yes. That, and you have this new job that you're you're at. Yeah. So I know. Well, this is how we like to do it. We like to be as busy as possible all the time. So, <laughs> Um, well, we would just be signing contracts hopefully on Monday or some point this week. And then the closing would be some point in the middle of May or early June. So we'll just have to, you know, plan around it. That gives that us time to get the mortgage and, um, the seller's time to pack up all their stuff from the house. They're moving down to South Carolina. So, okay. um, but I forgot to say, actually, I didn't even think of it. My other H was horoscope. I got a horoscope last week before we even knew this house that was the Sagittarius horoscope tailored to real estate. It included the line, let out the mini Martha Stewart in you. (laughs) So, you know, that was obviously a good sign starting off last week, which was a big week. Right. Right. Wow. It almost makes you believe in horoscopes, doesn't it? I, it does. It does. And I don't. I never read them. I just happened to read this one, and it was right on point. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, I think that, well, and, I mean, you grew up in Westport, Connecticut, the town of Martha Stewart. So you can exactly. be, you can be pretty assured she will haunt you for the rest of your life. It's not yes. like you're ever <laughs> going to get beyond Martha. No. You can't. That's impossible. No. No. That- <laughs> Okay, so Julie mentioned that you recently switched jobs. You've gone from being a prosecutor uh, in New York to being in private practice now. But I want you to put your prosecutor hat back on and tell me, I've been following this week in the news the Oscar Pistorius trial in South Africa. And because you are both a prosecutor and an Olympics junkie yes, and a jock, I'm assuming <laughs> you would also be following along on this news. So... What do you make of what was going on in the courtroom this week? I I have been following along, and I think this is is fascinating. Um, I am such a nerd for all of these trials, everything you know. Nancy Grace has to say about it, but I certainly form my my own opinions also. Um, but I think even though it is such a different system there, and you know, some of the procedural rules to me are, are very foreign. It all comes down to the same kind of thing that the defense is trying to, as we say in the prosecutor world, distract from the evidence. Uh-huh. He, they want to focus on, you know, the mishandling of the door or the inconsistencies in the police chief's statement. You know, he said he was there at this time, but his other officer said he was there 20 minutes earlier. As a prosecutor, what I would say to that is that it makes sense that that's what they're focusing on because when you focus on the evidence, he's guilty. And it's clear. Okay, I I was going to try to, like, eke out of you a point of view (laughs) on this. I thought maybe you would try to, like, well, not having reviewed all the evidence personally, but you have clearly decided the guy shot his girlfriend. I think think so because, I mean, we know he shot his girlfriend. Right. Right. I mean, even he's admitting that. And to me, it seems like it's in the heat of passion for a few reasons. Um... One being, and it's, it's, a, it's a minor issue, but that door in the bathroom was fully closed. So the, the door was shut, the handle pulled all the way closed, which if somebody is going to the bathroom in the middle of the night, which is what they're trying to say she was doing, you, it doesn't make sense that they would pull the whole door closed, kind of. You know, you just leave 
leave a little a glimpse of it open um, in the middle of the night so you don't make noise to wake up. Your oh, that's good. Isn't that good, Liz? That, that is a good detail I hadn't thought about. Yes. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, and then the other thing is the, what type of person he is. And there's a lot of talk, you know, I think her ex-boyfriend had testified that he was a very possessive, obsessive type person, which if we didn't have that testimony, maybe his arguments would be a little bit more um, persuasive. But he's saying, you know, I was out at lunch with her. We've been friends for years. And he called her however many times during that lunch and texted her, where are you? So that type of person, um, you know, in my yeah. opinion, it, it, it seems like it's, it, whether it's in the heat of passion or really, truly premeditated, um, to me, it's it doesn't matter because it's it's the same thing. I really do think um, he is guilty, should be guilty of murder. Now, as a lot of the evidence was presented this week, what made it so fascinating is that he kind of lost it at several points. Right. Uh, crying, which is not that unusual, I would imagine. You can tell me. But then also like retching at certain yeah. points, like th dramatically throwing up during testimony. Right. And I'm just curious if you've ever had a defendant who had a, like a really dramatic physical reaction to being in the courtroom and seeing evidence presented, but also because this is a system in South Africa, there are no juries, right? It's just the judge. You're just playing the whole thing to the judge. What impact, if any, do you think that kind of behavior has on a judge? Well, to me, it, that's interesting because it's surprising. That's normally the type of behavior you would see more um, with a jury. Yeah. Because that's something that they they kind of eat up. They see this, how impactful certain testimony is, and they wonder that if somebody so cold-blooded could really do something like that and, and then have this reaction. But a lot of times it's also his attorney um, telling him to, to act like that, show some reactions, show some remorse, may humanize yourself so it's harder for the jury or the judge to convict. Yeah. Um, I mean, here I think there's been so much press. He's such a public figure that it's, it's hard for the judge, I think, to separate that out and to tend to think of him as just a man and mm -hmm. he is trying to do a good job of showing that he's just a guy. Um, in my opinion, I think that's what he, what, that's what he's doing this week. So do I you, mean, th do you think he was coached to do that? I do. I don't think that his attorney, if he thought it was ba a bad strategic move would allow him to act like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think every single thing in these trials from what they're wearing, how their chair is positioned, who of their family sits in the back of the courtroom is planned by the defense attorneys. I mean, this is like the O.J. Simpson trial of of the rest of the world. I mean, I mean, uh, so everything he does in court is getting a worldwide reaction to it. So the retching and so, I mean, which places, it seems to me, even more pressure on the judge to get the verdict right or and to conduct the trial correctly. Right, right. I, that must be so much pressure for him. I can't, I can't even imagine that. But, you know, he... He, and he is going to try to have to make a decision based on the law, and that's why, um, I guess that's why they have it right in front of the judge. So those kind of antics or the, that sympathy shouldn't come into play, but you never know. I, it just, you, you never know what, what the judges are going to do, you know, who, how they get elected, how the system works, who they know in the system. Hopefully that, that doesn't come into play, but it's, I don't know much about um, that that legal system there. Yeah, it is kind of interesting when you compare it to the uh, so, to the O.J. Simpson trial. So much of what happened there was for the jury, but also for the the television audience. Exactly. And that was a, it. Was the first time a lot of us saw a televised trial. And my understanding is um, the same thing is true in. South Africa. They have not had televised trial before, and uh, so this is a relatively new thing. Um, 
Anyway, it is, it is really just fascinating, someone that famous on trial for something that heinous. Um, so we'll count on you as our uh, Satellite Sisters Next Gen uh, legal analyst to, to file a report whenever you think there's something we need to be aware of. Oh, absolutely. That is right up my alley. <laughs> okay. All right. As long as we're talking to the legal analyst this week, Megan, I have a big question for you. Thursday, I have jury duty. So uh, I have a two-part question. Uh, my first part is, what, I, as a former prosecutor, what, do you, what sort of traits, characteristics do you like to see in jurors? And the second part is, how do I get dismissed immediately? <laughs> Good questions, Jewel. You, your family has a lot of jury duty down there, huh? Yes. Well, oh, it's, yeah. hey, it's Texas. Come on. We got, we, got, we got This is the land of laws here. So <laughs> They have to keep sending all those people to jail. That's, that's, that's true. Well, um, the first part of how to be a good juror, it really, sometimes for us, even though I'm not technically a prosecutor anymore, um, it does depend on the type of case. So, and it's unfortunate, actually, they say that women are much more judgmental of other women. So if it's a, um, like a sexual related case or a rape case, something like that, um, Sometimes people don't want to put women on their juries in that in that case because they tend to be that's what people say they tend to be more judgmental. Um, but in my opinion, what makes a good juror um, is obviously somebody who seems to be attentive. You know, making eye contact with you, looking around the room, um, trying to answer questions. Although you never really expect somebody who's seated in the box to be volunteering and speaking because it is something so um, foreign when, when you come into jury duty. I mean, we're in the courtroom every day, so we're comfortable speaking there in front of other people. But um, we do like jurors who are engaged and attentive. Um, we always joke that since they're not allowed to speak about the case, the only thing that the jurors speak about until they're asked to look, to deliberate is our outfits. Um, so maybe somebody who, who like a fashion sense, right? Somebody <laughs> might like my outfit. You know, that would be a good juror. <laughs> Okay, good to know. Yeah. Yeah, they're probably talking about lunch, too, right? What are we going to have for lunch? Right, right. <laughs> lunch and, oh, did you see she had a run in her stocking? You know, it's it's a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah. So, so to, get, to get thrown off a jury, does Julie need to, like, scowl at a prosecutor's footwear choice or something? What's it going to take? <laughs> oh, that'll probably do it. But, um, I, you know, you... They want somebody, at least in New York, the standard is fair and impartial. <laughs> so it's clear to the judge or the attorneys if somebody is really trying to get off. But if you make yourself sympathetic and okay. say, you know, I would love to be able to get over my bias on this case, but I'm just not sure I can. You know, my son was robbed or I mean, don't lie. Obviously, no, no. but I have strong feelings about this. And um, another another uh, uh, point where they're always going to want to kick somebody off is for the presumption of innocence. So if you say, well, since he's been arrested, I think he probably did something, you're going to be gone. Okay. Um, but so. just to be clear, you're not encouraging Julia no. to get out of jury duty. And, and I, I want to say that I, I take it as my civic responsibility to go to jury, you know, to jury duty. And if I'm selected, you know, I'm not going to try right. to get out. But I just, just, you know, I just like to have the full range of options right. uh, open to me. See what well, okay. Julie, in all seriousness, I think you would make an excellent jury. You are definitely somebody who I would want on my jury because, you know, you're smart and attentive. And I, I think, at least for prosecutors, the important thing is that you will follow the law. So okay. <laughs> whether or not you like it or not, whether or not you agree with, let's say, the DWI standards, if that's what your charge is as a juror, you're going to follow that. Okay. So that's the kind of person who'd make 
a good juror like you, Julie. And, and I certainly would appreciate the, the care and time that you put into your outfit. And be happy, happy to lead the rest of the jury panel in having very positive thoughts about what the prosecutor is wearing. Is that, so, o- is that only if it's Megan, or would that be for all prosecutors? I, now that I know that this is part of the pressure as a prosecutor, I'm going to be very sensitive to that. And, you know, that they... That's right, that people are looking them up and down all day long. And, again, they can't talk about anything else, so that's what they're going to be right. talking about. So. And uh, one, of our other, one of our other rules was if you wore your jury selection suit and outfit and you didn't end up picking a jury that day but you were going to go the next day, you're allowed to rewear it because the jury <laughs> didn't see it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, plus, Julie, I think your whole family, you exude solid citizenship because your husband has been on several juries, but also has been picked as foreman several yeah. times, correct? He, so he, yes, yes. There, you guys just exude law-abiding. Yes, yes. That's <laughs> what I try to do most of the time, which That's brings like up. Oh, can I just say one thing about Oscar Pistorius, just to correct something? I just want to be clear. I was looking it up while we were chatting. The judge in this case is female. We were referring to the judge uh-huh. as a he. It's a woman named Masipa. She is a former newspaper crime reporter, but she's a 66-year-old uh-huh. black woman, and she's the one uh, in charge of the Pistorius trial. So that's another interesting uh, angle on on this particular story. So that just, is interesting. just wanted to throw that in. Okay, that's Julie. Good. I'm glad you do fact-checking in the middle of the podcast, Liz. <laughs> that's very good. Well, we don't normally care about facts, but in this case, because it's a court of law, they're okay. relevant. Okay. Well, yeah, you, yes, yeah. you mentioned my law-abiding husband. My law-abiding husband and I uh, made made Megan. This is news. This I'm, this is breaking news today that uh, we upped and sold our house. And <laughs> well, how about that? Because we're empty nesters, and we have decided that instead of having a big house, we want to have more of a lock and leave situation, like an apartment, so that we can spend more time either seeing our son and daughter-in-law in New York because they're about to have a baby, which is also breaking news. That, I, I wasn't even officially told that yet. Oh, yes, my gosh. Well, yes, Lauren oh, and Lauren Will are going to have a baby in August. Um, oh, so. So Nana, that's that would be me. I, I have you know I have some assignments coming up. So we just um, we just kind of felt, and so we went up, we went and sold our house. Okay. So when I said that I was doing the podcast from a new closet, we are in a temporary townhouse while we find the apartment of our dreams, and we moved into this townhouse uh, yesterday. In fact. Um, <laughs> So, um, uh, and as we were unpacking yesterday, uh, my husband was putting away his shoes and he went to put a pair of shoes on a shelf in the closet, master bedroom closet in this townhouse. And he kept, and he couldn't get his shoe all the way in. And so he reached back and he found this bag and in the bag was a gun, Megan. Oh my God. In, in this apartment, this, you know, this, we're in a townhouse apartment and he found a gun. So um, I was over at the other house uh, finishing up there, and he called me. He said, what should I do? Should I just throw the gun away, put it in the dumpster? So you're laughing. I can see that, Megan, that that probably is not the right thing to do with the gun, right? I I don't think so. No, no but, well, what type of gun was it? It was a pistol. It was a. Uh, it wasn't a big pistol, um, uh, but it was. It was a handgun, uh, and there was ammunition with it. It wasn't loaded, but in the bag was. It was a gun plus ammunition. So, wow. wow. Are I you know. sure? Are you sure that's not the law in Texas, Julie? That every home must have that. <laughs> that all the townhomes, yes. in addition to a microwave, they uh-huh. come with yes. a loaded handgun. It's the, possible. The thought would cross my mind. <laughs> so I was just thinking that no to the dumpster because we don't know. I mean, I don't know. We it might. What if this gun had been involved in some kind of crime or what right. thing like it's- that? Exactly. I mean, I my suggestion is just to don't take it anywhere, but I guess you just have to call the police and have them come over and retrieve it. But I wouldn't, you know, take the bag down to the police station. 
We took it down. Took it down. <laughs> oh my gosh! No, no, we took it. We didn't take even take it to the police. We just took it to the leasing office at this. Um, oh at this, my god! Yeah, they weren't too happy with the gun either. They didn't. I mean, now there. My husband does not have any fingerprints on the gun. Okay, it's still. He didn't touch the gun. Okay. But, we, but we moved it. We definitely moved the. You know. Okay. Okay. okay so now. So now it's their problem. <laughs> I don't know. I can see that Megan is very worried about 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 our actions. So no, no, I don't. I really, truly w- wouldn't really know. I mean, that's just my first suggestion. I guess the leasing company can take care of it. That all I can say is that person really must have left in a hurry from that uh, from that townhouse. Well, I know. I hope they don't come back for their gun now. That's what I'm worried about. So I agree. Okay. All right. Okay. Well. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, I would have thought about turning it into the police, but I would have taken it down to the police station. Why do you say don't take it down there, Megan? Because it's just a bad idea to walk into a police station with a gun and ammunition? <laughs> yeah, I, I precisely. I just don't think they would look favorably on that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't know. That's, okay. That's, that's, that's my God. We should have thrown it in the dumpster. See? My husband. No, that was clearly the worst. That choice. was not a good idea. He know he he knows that. He knows that. But uh, <laughs> maybe it was just a little housewarming gift, Texas style. Okay, I'll, I'll 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 consider that. I'll consider that. Well, the other big family news, in addition to the move and um, and that Will and Lauren Lauren are going to be having a baby um, in uh, later this summer, is we had a baptism this past weekend for Peter. This is uh, our our newest grandson who is now three months old, and he was baptized on Sunday in the family christening gown, which I believe, Megan, you wore too. This is a guess. I will. I was doing the math on this. Um, that this is a christening gown that was in um, your grandmother, our mother's family. So I'm figuring that all five of the children wore that uh, that gown for the baptisms. Then, then in you know the next generation, there were eight Dolans, so they all wore the gown. I'm thinking most of the Morning Stars are not with nine of them. Right. Uh, there were three Lockeries. I'm pretty sure that they were all in the baptismal gown. The Kirshners, there were five of them. I, I think that most of them probably wore that. We then go to the next generation where there were 11 grandchildren, and most of them wore it. So now we're looking at a dress that over 40 babies have been christened in. Isn't that amazing? That's wow. so amazing, Julie. I, when you were talking about this the other week, it just made me so happy. Isn't that nice? So it's uh, no pressure, Megan, but it's <laughs> I'm taking very good care of this dress now. <laughs> it's all cleaned. It's repaired. It's ready for future babies in the family. That's all I'm saying. That's good, all I'm saying. good. So um, we had this lovely christening, and the godmother um, for Peter is one of my daughter-in-law's friends. Her name is Yulia. And uh, she came from Moscow to the for the christening, so that was pretty good. And she was she had a great time, and Peter did great, and we had a little party at our house afterwards. And as we were setting up uh, for the party, um, my son Nick said, "Whatever you do, Mom, do not mention the Ukraine to to Yulia." I said, why not? He said, she is so pro-Russia on this and so in favor of everything that Putin's doing. Just don't mention it. Now, now here's, here's the interesting thing. Now, and what's surprising about this is Yulia is 30-something. So, Megan, she's, she's about your age, maybe a couple years older. Um, but, um, and she has really certainly benefited from the fall of the Soviet Union. I mean, she works for Microsoft. She, so she works for an American company. She now, because since the, you know, since the fall of the Soviet Union, she, she travels the world for my, Microsoft. She is fluent in English, which under the Soviet Union, only, only certain people were allowed to learn English. It was spies and, you know, certain tourist guides that were also spies. They were the only ones that were, that were able to learn English. You know, Yulia's English is wonderful. I mean, she has, she enjoys an affluence that she never would have had under the Soviet Union. She has a car, she has an apartment, but for some reason, 
that she just really, I, I mean, that she, her, even though, you know, she has really benefited from the freedom of the democratic movement, from capitalism, mm -hmm. that Russian nationalism for her trumps, trumps democracy all the time. That for her, this is all about Russia, and it's all about restoring Russian pride, and that, you know, that she, you know, and I think this is part of Putin's calculation, that he really counts on a lot of domestic support for these moves that he's making in Ukraine. Because, uh, he, you know, he knows that there are people like Yulia who you would who you would just normally think, oh, well, she, she's got to be for, you know, the democratic Western side of this, of this situation, but not at all. Um, and while there were some anti-Putin um, anti rallies today in Moscow, there still is a great deal of support for, um, for um, Putin and what he's doing among many Russians, not just older Russians, but also um, the younger generation as well. It is really fascinating that that form of Russian nationalism, I mean, he's clearly known what he's been doing all along in keeping that stoked, right? Even when you were right. living there, Julie, you constantly observed that it, so much of it was about Russian pride. It's people don't talk about restoring the Soviet Union because uh, that's not a good selling point. But the idea of Russian pride and Russian nationalism and what the Russian Federation really means – I, it's fascinating that even the younger generation, even the next gens, are, like, down with Russian nationalism. Right. I mean, they, in their minds, in Yulia's mind, she does not see the government in Ukraine as a legitimate government and, and a legitimate authority, and that they would be better with the Russian government. Okay. So that's so why I didn't mention it at the Baptist <laughs> We stayed away from that topic. It's very interesting to have a family where that's one of the stay away topics. You know, most of the time things are a little bit more mundane. It's don't mention Uncle Joey's new girlfriend, you know, or please don't bring up the recent uh, DUI or, you know, it's just like things that are a little bit more day to day. But the in your family, it's like the future of the Russian Federation the history of the Russian Federation, and that's just day-to-day -day conversation at the table. Very right. interesting, Julie. Okay. Well, that's my, that's my story. So, so related to that, I have a question about this so-called referendum that is happening in Crimea on Sunday. Okay, we've already admitted that we're recording the show on Saturday, but maybe I won't post it till Sunday. So for those of you for whom it's today, we'll just call it today. Uh, anyway, so the, the Crimean referendum, which the Western powers in the United States have all said, this is bogus. You can't, we're not even going to pay attention. No, 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 no. We don't care what you vote for. Um, what's so interesting about the way the referendum is constructed to me is that there's no choice. You can vote for two choices, but no choices. Let's just stay the same. So, it's a so, Megan, you live on Long Island. Imagine that all of a sudden they told you next week there's a referendum on Long Island. You get to vote for seceding and being your own country, or you get to vote for becoming part of the United Kingdom because that's what you were originally. Right. But, but the, there is no choice number three, which is, can we just keep things exactly the way we were? Can't we, can't we just be part of New York, part of the United States? Or Julie, the same thing in Texas. Like, so you're, it's like Texas gets to A, become independent, or B, become part of Mexico. But yeah. th there's no C that says, okay, we're good. We're, can we just, like, we're totally good the way we are. Because the first question is, are you in favor of reunification of Crimea with Russia as part of the Russian Federation? Right. And the second one is, are you in favor of restoring the 1992 Constitution and the status of Crimea as a part of the Ukraine? A part of Ukraine. Which sounds like you're voting to keep things the same, but you're not, because that 1992 Constitution actually gave Crimea independence within Ukraine. So it's sort of a Puerto Rico-type status, I would, <laughs> I would guess. Like, Puerto Rico is, you know, sometimes they play on our Olympic team, sometimes they don't. That's the way I feel about Crimea. Right. Um, anyway, it's just, it, what you think about how, normally how 
slowly history unfolds, right? The way nations change and geopolitical partnerships change and who's with whom. And and you think of these things as happening so slowly. And yet this Crimea thing, like a month ago, we were all had our eyes on Sochi and we had no idea that like three or four weeks later, like just up the river or up the Black Sea, they're going to be voting to be part of Russia again or to be independent again. It's really kind of amazing, I think. So, I don't know. I just thought that was fascinating. <laughs> like, no, I agree, Liz. It is, at least for me, it's it's one of the first times that, like you said, you can really see it unfolding because I wasn't, a, a, I mean, I was around, but I didn't understand what was going on during that 1992 um, split. So, it's, right. it's very interesting and um yeah, and, and and there are all these historical names, Julie, because you lived in Russia, these mm-hmm. things probably aren't so far afield for you, but all of a sudden this week they started talking about the Tatars or Tatars. Or, like, Tatars. <laughs> and, yes, I know, which are ancient people. And it's not like the Russians even like this ethnic group, but now all of a sudden they're all about the Tatars. Yes. Right, right. And it's like, you know, part of me thinks Babar when I hear Tatar. Or, <laughs> but, but you certainly don't, or Mongols, you know, you just right. don't think of them as like a voting block currently operating within a modern country. And uh, so it's like all of the history doesn't just go away, I guess. Everyone's still there, and they're still fighting about the same things they always fought about. So I will be very curious to see the way this turns out because it sounds like they're just going to – like the people that are actually going to vote are the people that are pro-Russian, but then right, what happens? Yeah. I don't really think there's really much surprise. I, I think yeah. that it's going to be part of Russia. This is part of Putin's plan. It's just how much more of Ukraine does he take? And please don't mention it to Yulia if you see her at some future family event. <laughs> so noted. <laughs> okay, right, moving on to things that are crazy. Julie, go ahead. The plane. Where is the plane? Where yeah. is it? Where yeah. is it? Yeah. Megan, what's your theory on where the plane is? I think I think it is terrifying. I have no theory. I've been I've been following the story, but it's it seems to be changing every day with different information. And now the scariest part is that now they're saying, Well, we know this was done purposefully, but that's about all we know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I just, it's absolutely, it's like a real life lost. It's just crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My, my, my husband and I, we really focused in that we thought what they were hijacked when they, hi, when the plane went off course, that they were heading for the Taj Mahal. And that's what they intended to uh-huh. take the plane and, you know, and destroy the Taj Mahal. Really? Because Yes, because we were trying to think what else would have the impact that 9-11 did in terms of a worldwide site. You know, you have all the, you know, you know, millions and millions of people, you know, in that area that would that know that as, you know, the most beautiful building in the world destroyed by terrorists. That's what that's what we thought that they were going after the Taj Mahal. Oh, interesting. Uh, despite the wild speculations you hear on TV, I have not heard that one yet. Um, <laughs> well, the- that's why you have to listen to Satellite Sister podcast. Right. <laughs> I was obsessively watching CNN the last 24 hours. And one of my favorite, you know, they bring on all these aviation experts and some of them are great and some of them are like, remind me again what you're an expert in. Uh, but my favorite was when one guy, because of course, Pierce Morgan, who's a total dope, was pressing him for what's your theory of what's really happening. And he said, well, I don't want to speculate, but if I had to take a guess, I would say blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Okay. Let's just call up the dictionary on the difference between speculating and guessing. There's there's really no difference. So fine, go for it. But don't try to look holier than thou by saying you don't want to speculate. I have to say yesterday, so this is Friday, there was a certain point where I actually started to believe and hope that the plane had just been stolen and landed someplace. That's what I was really hoping for, because at this point, wouldn't that be the best outcome? That well, the people. What could- are they doing with all the passengers, Liz? Right. If, they, if, that, if that was the intent, to steal the plane for some other purpose, 
you know, uh, what did they do with all the passengers? Are they holding them hot? Is this going to be like the, a worldwide hostage event? I mean, or, or did they kill them all? I mean, what, 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 what's the plan? Right. And where could they possibly have landed without anybody knowing? I know. That's the part last night, Megan, that once people started saying, well, a 777, it needs a mile to land and it will show up on people's radar. I realized that my hope that they were all still alive and that they were just kidnapped was really sort of a Pollyanna-ish approach to what could be happening out there. But it would be awesome if somebody just wanted to steal the plane and they landed somewhere in a jungle and somewhere in a jungle somewhere, all those people are free and the plane is just being repainted and sold to somebody who wants it. I know that's crazy, but that would be... I hope that. I mean, I mean, if... Once they, you know, once they did not go into the Taj Mahal, as I, that's what I, we were thinking, then, I mean, I hope that that's what, you know, that they have landed the plane somewhere and that they're, you know, they're going to just let the people go free. Yeah. This, I mor- mean, if this they, morning they, on the news when they were talking about how they, they took the plane, it appears to indicate that they took the plane up to like 45,000 feet, which would effectively kill everyone on the plane. Uh, unless they had the special oxygen that the pilots could have. Then I started to think, ooh, yeah, maybe maybe that's what they were doing. I I don't know. Who knows? Like, has there ever been a news story like this where you really just cannot, for the life of you, figure out not only what happened, but who and why? Like, what... Like, even even your crazy Taj Mahal theory, Julie. um, (laughs) It's not so crazy, Liz. But who wants to do that? Yeah. Who, like, what's their goal? I understand, like, it would be shocking, but it's just, that's what's so fascinating about the story is that you can't kind of figure out, like, what would a motive be for doing any of these crazy theories? Like, why would you even want to take it to 45,000 feet, kill anyone on board, and then what? Ditch it in the Indian Ocean? That doesn't make sense. Right. So, I don't know. Um... Maybe by the time you're listening to this, there's already a, an answer out there. It would obviously be really sad to just find the wreckage and know that all those hundreds of people uh, right. just died. But it won't do away with the mystery of what happened in what order and why. It's really, right. really fascinating. Um, any last theories you want to get in before, you know, it's all revealed? <laughs> Revealed. <laughs> I just want to say I'm with Ju- whatever Julie and Trem decide. That's the theory I'm going. <laughs> okay. okay. We'll keep you posted. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay. On, on a much lighter note, uh, I just want to. Uh, what should I call this segment? I think I'm just going to call this segment. It's about time, and why didn't I know? Uh, the because uh, last night. Uh, Friday night, doing a little shopping in the grocery store in my local um, pavilions, Uh, going up and down my normal aisles, uh, but then, you know, picking up, you know, your dog food, your vitamin water, your things like that. Um, I needed something over in the condiment aisle. I knew that I had knocked over my bottle of Worcestershire earlier in the week, and so I needed to replenish the Worcestershire. And I'm going by the, um, the the ketchup section, and something catches my eye that I have never seen before. And I'm like, holy moly, this is the product of my dreams. Maybe you guys knew this because you are more effective grocery shoppers than I am and spend more time on the condiment aisle than I do. But did you know that there is such a thing as Heinz balsamic vinegar ketchup? That that's an actual product now? That no. it, yes. is product of your dreams. Product of my dreams. Yes. Oh, that sounds delicious. Thank you. Yes. Megan, I was stumped. First of all, I was like, how long has this been here? <laughs> Why didn't someone tell me that this existed in the world? Like, Heinz, get a clue. How many more times do I have to talk about my love of balsamic vinegar before you text me right. when you're uh, introducing products like this? So I was really taken aback and super excited. But then I had to have the, um, 
debate with myself, so do I just buy the balsamic vinegar ketchup now, or do I also need regular ketchup? So this was, at the end of a hard week where your brain is tired, this was a major decision for me. Like, I, I just was not sure what to do. But... <laughs> Liz. So, really? Yeah. You couldn't decide between the ketchups? <laughs> well, I just thought... Buy both of them. Just yeah. get it done. That's exactly what I did, Julie. Yeah. Because, Julie, you've seen my refrigerator. I have many kinds of mustard, right? I, yes, I like you do. No food, but it's, you have lots of mustard. It's, it's, you're very strong on balsamic vinegar. And now, apparently, you have a lot of ketchup. Ketchup. That's yep, ketchup. So I have, like, a door full of ketchup now. I'm going to, I'll take a, I, last night, so then I had to go over to the hamburger department because, you know, <laughs> I had not been planning to have hamburger for dinner last night. Now that I had a new ketchup product to test, I had to go um, get a little ground sirloin for myself and for Ferris. And so it turned out to be a very nice night. But anyway, product of my dreams, uh, balsamic vinegar ketchup. Uh, thank you, Heinz. I will be uh, I will be tweeting and posting about this just so that if there are other people like me out there that have been waiting for the perfect condiment uh, to come to them, you might want to take a spin down the aisle. Maybe if you haven't been looking closely on the aisle, everything have you noticed? Everything now in the food business is all about more flavors. You know, like how many kinds of Oreos are there now, and how many kinds of wheat thins are there now? Am I alone in observing this? That it's just about product extensions of more flavors. It's very difficult. It's very difficult for me to send my husband to the store and say, get some ketchup. Okay. (laughs) Or, you know, because there's so many flavors, so many sizes. It's like five phone calls to get a simple product. (laughs) Yes. Yes, Liz. So it may help some people. For other people, I find it, you know, it's, it just complicates things. Megan, do you have a go-to grocery store item, like your favorite food or condiment or cracker or thing that you just, you know, every time you go to the store, you come home with some? Well, we, I shop at Trader Joe's and I'm addicted to the Trader Joe's multi-grain English muffins. Mm. That is, Mm. they're just my favorite. Uh I love them. Uh Okay. Um, but what if they came out with new flavors of that? I mean, they probably, they're soon. They do. They, yeah. Do they already have like the raisin ones? And the, yes. Yeah, they yeah. Have, you know, the, the plain, they have the wheat, they have multi-grain, the, um, cinnamon raisin, but we've tested and determined the multi-grain are the way to go. <laughs> That's good. So I hope they don't throw any new ones into your line of vision, like the balsamic vinegar ketchup, because uh, that's a hard thing to deal with. It was just a shock. That's all I'm saying, Julie. It was just really a shock to my system. For as much as I love ketchup, that there was a type of ketchup that I needed and wanted but didn't even know existed in the real world. Okay, one last thing, and then I know we got to go. In the Satellite Sisters Facebook group, so, you know, we have a Facebook page, and Julie, I see that you figured out how to respond to someone who had emailed you on the Facebook page, right? Yes, it's very confusing to have both the Facebook page and the group. So yes. even Satellite Sisters get confused. <laughs> anyway, on the Facebook group, um, there is a post here from Michelle uh, today about a new business that I had heard about on the radio, Michelle. So this is very interesting. She said, here's a business opportunity for the Dolan sisters. Um, I am a cat person, but even I think this is the worst idea ever. So this is, have you heard about these cat cafes? They exist in other parts of the world, but it's a cafe where you can go And if you say you can't have a cat in your home for whatever reason, (laughs) it's against the rules or, you know, your husband is allergic or whatever, you can go to these cafes and just hang out with the kitties for an hour while you're drinking your coffee. Have you heard about this? (laughs) That sounds bad for the Dolan family. (laughs) It's making me sneeze just to think about that. To imagine being in the cafe with all those cats. That hair. Uh, are you supposed to eat at it? <laughs> I, I don't know. Let's see. It, it's called Kitty, K-I-T, then capital T-E-A. Oh, my so God. So it seems like it's mainly a beverage operation, Megan. 
Okay. Uh, but there's an adorable picture of a kitty on our uh, on the Facebook page. But you know, as you, Michelle did know that. The reason we are not cat people is not because we're anti-cat, but because we are a a family of highly allergic people. Um, But I heard that there are other countries where they have variations on this. Again, product extensions where it could be bunnies or it could be goats. Or it could could be dogs, Uh, you know, or it it could be all kinds of different animals. So... I've I've gone to a snake restaurant in Vietnam. Yeah, wow. but that's a, you're not there to cuddle the snakes. You're there to eat the snakes, right? Eat the snakes, yeah. yeah. But you can if you want to if you want to play with them before you eat them, you can. Uh, okay. And All right. Di- and did you? No, no, uh, no. Yeah, you just can't get attached. No. <laughs> exactly. Nice. <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, so there you have it. That was the if you anything you want to post at Satellite Sisters uh, Facebook group, um, we like to have a conversation over there. Our um, our Twitter handle, by the way, is at Sat Sisters. There were many of you who were using that last weekend. I appreciate that to help encourage your friends to watch Cosmos. I hope you did. And remember, it's thirteen episodes, people. One night is not enough. So. Um, Every Monday night for the next 12 weeks, you can watch Cosmos on um, uh, on the National Geographic channel. Plus, they're, they're rerunning it like a million times a day. So if you, pretty much any time you turn on the TV, you're going to see it. So, uh, But anyway, thank you for the people that are following us at Sat Sisters. Uh, Megan, are you a Twitter person? What's your, I, what's I your social media profile? I am. I don't tweet that often, but uh, my, um, my handle is Dolando. I like it. Yes. It's mostly about um, the Yankees and uh, Real Housewives and Law and Order. Okay. Okay. Okay, Dolando. Dolando. That sounds wildly entertaining. Maybe you can be our new entertainment reporter. (laughs) Uh, And uh, let's see. Leon was off. I believe Julie, you checked in with her. She was at a robotics convention this week. Yes. Yes, she was up. She's at a robotics uh, convention this week, um, but I, I assume she'll be back for our Tuesday show. So we'll, she'll update us at that point. Okay. All right. And okay. Sheila and Monica, um, they just have very busy lives, apparently. Yes, they do. <laughs> they really didn't want to compete with Megan. I think <laughs> Megan, and your sister Catherine, who we've had on Satellite Sisters at times when we haven't had you here, she was out looking for new apartments this weekend, right? She just finished. Well, she was on the show to talk about starting graduate school. Yeah. So, so this week was her first week of midterms. Do you know how, how is she feeling about graduate school? She's feeling good. She's been really studying hard, but the one she's had so far, she's done well on. She had her last midterm yesterday, and now, as we've been saying, she's on spring break. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but she, as she and Alex are looking for apartments um, for in a couple months, you know, when they get married. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, that's one of our next big family events is Catherine's wedding in June. So. Yes. So, all right, boy, we have really covered it all from, uh, you know, uh, the Lost Plane to Ukraine to cat cafes and, um, and new ketchup technology, which I, that's the most important message here, that every food can always, every food can be improved. I just keep trying, Heinz. Um, okay, Julie, you got anything else going on? Oh, can I just say, like, I wanted to ask you, Megan, do you guys, I know, like, you're the Irish side of the family. You married an Italian guy. So how do you handle St. Patrick's Day? Is that a major holiday in your life? Um, it is. We prefer it to be on the weekend, but it will be on Monday this year. Uh, we, Greg, actually, the Italian husband, picked up some Irish soda bread yesterday. So we are good to go. Nice. All right. Nice. Yeah. Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yes. Green, I'm going to be wearing green, and I'm going to make sure all my grandchildren are wearing green, too. Oh, good. That, that's, uh, that's my plan. How about you? Well, I, I, the reason I was aware of it at all was because last night on the news as I was driving home from work, they announced that the LAPD will have major sobriety checkpoints set up Friday Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Just in case you're getting an early start on St. Patrick's Day, uh, they're not trying to kill all your fun. They're just trying to keep you from killing each other. So um, 
the, I was, I, I welcomed the warning that it was, there were some people who are not going to be able to wait until Monday for their St. Patrick's Day. So tonight, tomorrow night, the partying has already begun. I think in some bars and restaurants around uh, Santa Monica and Los Angeles. So, um, so that's, that, that has an impact on my plan about how much driving is involved in my plan. Yeah, now I'm thinking about that too, Liz. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I like to hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a law and order person, don't you yes. want to know that laws are being enforced? That's yes, good. That's good. Exactly. Uh, okay, great. Well, this was fun. Megan, Meg, next good generation. Good yeah. Thank you. This, this was great. And um, I'll expect some breaking news next week. You know, we went from Barack Obama this week, babies. So uh, <laughs> make, make it count next yes. week. Okay. Well, you know, we feel the obligation to serve our listeners in all kinds of ways. So so good luck with the house hunting. Thank, Thank you for being you. with us today. And Julie. Uh, good luck in the in the new place, and okay. have a great St. Patrick's Day. We are the Satellite Sisters. Call your Satellite Sister. You walk into the world you make. You lose yourself, but you you find your way. I'm gonna watch you race.